Working Blind, sharing the stories of working blind people from across the globe. Hello and welcome back to Working Blind. It really has been a while since I released an episode of this podcast and there are many reasons for that, partly because my own life has been chaotic but I think also because all of our lives have this year. World events have really changed everything for all of us and it's interesting because this episode was actually recorded before the pandemic, before lockdown and coronavirus became part of our collective consciousness so it really is quite strange for me to listen to and I'm sure it will be for all of you as well. I interviewed Lawrence Brown III. Lawrence is a great friend of mine. He's a wonderful musician and such an interesting person and I can't wait for you all to hear his story. So here's how Lawrence began to get involved with music. Here's how it really started. I'm, uh, I was born in 1992 um, and so I was still around for lots of tapes lots of cassettes yes. <laughs> yeah and walkmans oh my gosh i remember <laughs> yeah yeah of course and so i got you know my my parents realized okay we've got to find we have to find some sort of alternative stimulus for him we've got to figure out some some way that he can kind of be you know enjoy because you know with a with a child that's one of the big challenges is you can't just hang up a pretty colorful mobile Right. You know, for a blind child, mm-hmm. um, it's not how it works. And so um, they figured, well, I mean, he can hear, so he's got his Walkman. Let's just buy him tapes. And my love of music and audiobooks kind of, uh, I mean, this is totally off topic, but I know you'll enjoy it, um, <laughs> kind of started from, from the same space of having, you know, being at these in these places where, uh, you know, as a child, you might get a little overstimulated or something mm-hmm. like that. And then listening to either a uh, cassette tape of uh, my father's from my father's R and B or hip hop collection, <laughs> or or listening to uh, a fairy tale, you know, one of the Arabian Nights or something yeah. like that, you know. Uh, and it was like that blended together kind of led me to kind of be who I am today. I really think at at the, at the earliest stages, right? Because you just had access to that music and that was kind of your thing and those books too yeah music and books music and and audio books all the way through and you know i i remember the days you know when there was no audible and you and you went yeah (laughs) and you you went and you spent eighty dollars on your favorite Mm -hmm. book because you were like i have to have it now i don't care that it's expensive Mm -hmm. i'm buying it right now I think I got listen like, to the cassettes and your AP. Anyway, you know. Right. Yeah. I think I got like one book for every six books my sister got, just in cost. You know. <laughs> like, Absolutely. She's yeah. A print I mean, reader. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. For sure. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, reading, you know, reading Braille, um, you know, something like Gone with the Wind is oh, you're looking God. at nine very fat volumes. Right. So, a lot of the interfaces with audio and with music as well, and. And so that whole cassette world opened me up to a world of possibilities because people would just give me random cassettes. You know, that was that, that was a thing. You know, it was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, well, whatever it is, Lawrence will like it. I, I had the same. <laughs> I had some <laughs> yeah. weird stuff. Like, some stuff that I look back on, I'm like, what? Why was I reading that when I was, like, five? <laughs> like, or listening to that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some, I mean, I definitely, I mean, I read Arabian Nights. Uh, I listened to it 
on on CD when I was like seven. And definitely mm. I should not have been doing that, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think there were a couple of scenes in that book that were <laughs> definitely not for a seven-year-old to hear. But um, at least we had, you know, really wide vocabularies, I guess. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And now, now, and now we blogs and, and jump on radio shows and do all kinds of fun things right yeah maybe we were lucky you know <laughs> i think so i think it's a i think that is one of the one of the kind of perks of being blind is like you oh, got to yeah. kind of tap into that yeah uh or at least a certain generation you know right yeah particularly our generation it's like we were kind of weird but at the same time the weirdness paid off later on because it's like okay you know I wasn't really interested in playing with Barbies, only to a certain extent, or like watching a cartoon, I would, but it was like, eh, okay. But then it's like, oh, I got really into radio, and radio plays were my thing, because, you know, in the UK we have the BBC, so the radio dramas, it was like, I was so into them as a kid. I mean, and then I would just like, listen to everything on the radio. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, exactly, I, I have a, I also have a radio background, um, I spent when I was in college. I had the opportunity to to intern at a at a station, uh, and it was paid for by the state because it was through a program that uh, would pay kids with disabilities to work. And so they said, "Well, why don't you find your own job?" And so I got creative and went to uh, the director of one of the M- the local NPR station here in town, and I said, "Hey, you know, would you consider putting me on the air?" And he said, "Sure." So, so um, (laughs) I think, I think that you, you and I also have that in common. Yeah. The speaking and the, and Mm -hmm. and the vocabulary, it's things that you learn because of the skill sets that you need to learn as a, as a blind person. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think that's, I think that's totally true. And how did you find school growing up? Like, what was that like for you? School for me was, Mm -hmm. uh, it was really good. uh, But there was a, there was a, a bit of a reason for that, uh, which is that my mother and grandmother are educators and I went to school in the school district where they work. Mm -hmm. And so it made things, it made things a lot easier, (coughs) excuse me, made things a lot easier when, when I needed to, to have that advocacy and that link. Um, and so, uh, I had my mom, you know, breathing down my neck all the time as a teacher. And I also had my <laughs> grandmother as my principal at, at, at the elementary school level. Oh, wow. So so I went from that to the middle school and I was very well equipped. And I went into high school also still very well equipped. But when I got to college, mm-hmm. all of that was kind of taken away. And one of the things about El Paso, Texas, which is where I'm from, by the way, yeah. um, is that it's kind of a small town sort of feel. And, and so like, you know, the people that live in certain neighborhoods don't really leave those neighborhoods or if they do, they're always, they always come back. It's kind of like new Orleans in that way. Right. Uh, it's, it's a very kind of unique vibe, but once you get to college, all those things get taken away from you. And, uh, you know, the, the legality becomes a lot kind of, a lot more uh, flexible, you mm-hmm. could say, um, and and you have to you have to kind of you know really go to bat for yourself, and so that was a big that was a big adjustment for me. And having people tell me things that I knew weren't true or weren't 
you know, correct. Uh, but, but having people get away with it, I hadn't had it, had that happen in my life before, because before it was, you know, first of all, these, this kid's parents are educators or, yeah. or you know, uh, family is educators. So we know that they'll, you know, come down on us if we don't, and they work in our district and blah, blah. Uh, and so you know, there's, there's that whole, that whole dynamic, but at the college level, it's not, it's way more about paying in and, and, um, and just being, just knowing the system, knowing all the hoops and the red tape that you need to go through. And there's a lot of pitfalls. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot, just so many, um, but, uh, you know, I navigated, uh, pretty well, you know, I, I have always been a pretty hard worker and I always enjoy, uh, learning new things. So I, I had great grades, uh, you know, the biggest challenges that I've had were not really academic. They were more accessibility challenges. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. Absolutely. It's like, you may be able to cope with the material, but, you know, can you use the system where you submit your essays, something like that? You know, it's like... Sure, of course. And, and that's can where you, you get thrown. Sure, yeah. Your essays, your your mm -hmm. papers, your... What I mean, and then they give you, they say, oh, the readings are right here. And, you know, <laughs> until, till you know, till recently, yeah. you know, uh, things like PDFs weren't accessible. You know, right. um, I went to college when, it, when PDFs weren't accessible for the most part, uh, mm -hmm. at least for JAWS users. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it wasn't until I became, you know, more familiar with some Apple products that I learned that you know, other ways to kind of navigate that, that system. Right. And, and, you know, you're just expected to kind of figure this stuff out. So you're not just a student, you're a student with all those other things on top of it that you've got to kind of know as well. Sure. And if you're not careful, you know, what ends up happening is, uh, before you know it, you're halfway through the semester. And so hey. things that you may need to figure out, uh, you don't, or, you can't because it's like I have a paper that needs to be done right now. I don't have any more time to sit and read through, you know, uh, threads about JAWS commands <laughs> because I have to turn in a math assignment. <laughs> That's right. what I have to do. Uh, and so, you know, uh, but and, and but that also comes with being mainstreamed. And I was mainstreamed the whole way through. Uh, and the, the upside to that for me is uh, that it helped me with my kind of social skills. Yeah. Um, and, and that helps me in my, in my work now as a musician. But I would say that the magic formula uh, is if you're an American uh, <laughs> blind uh, person or parent of a blind person, mm -hmm. uh, that you want to try and do the mainstream thing during elementary yeah. Send them off to a, a state thing, a state school when they're, you know, during the junior high years and then try and mainstream them again for high school. And so I they think get that, that braille exposure in the middle or like the, exactly the smack dab, mm -hmm. smack dab, the braille and the accessible technology. Yeah. And the accessible because for me, you know, my introduction to Jaws was not one of you know hey let's learn about this wonderful thing that can enhance your life it was like we have to learn right now whatever you have to learn mm -hmm. so that you can interface with the class and move on right which isn't really the way it should be 
it's not yeah. it's not really the way it should be so so i so i you know fell behind on, on things like that i fell behind on uh accessibility uh you know just just knowing all the ways that that accessible technology can can help mm -hmm. um but you know i i had catch up to do and i'm still catching up in a lot of ways uh but you know there you have it right and did you major in um in music when you were in college well <clears throat> that's a really interesting <laughs> uh story okay yeah here we go um I did. I, I made. I started majoring in in purely music, mm -hmm. um, but I had a really interesting uh, experience going into into college, and that was that I had a band director during my high school years who actually convinced me that I could go to school for music because before mm -hmm. that I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll end up in law school. I have family in law. Maybe I'll end up. I don't know what I'll do, but, uh, you know, music will probably be a hobby. Mm -hmm. And then by freshman year, I started really getting heavily involved and starting to do more uh, all region and all city kind of activities and things like that. Um, and then going into my sophomore year, when this new band director came in, he really showed me, hey, you could do this. You could go, you could take this as far as you want, you know. But... My senior year, uh, I, I graduated from high school, and and I, uh, I was helping him with the marching band. One day, uh, one day he didn't show up to the marching band rehearsal. We found him. Long story short, we found him dead in his oh house. God. Yeah, right across the street from the the school. Um, and the real issue with this was that my band director during high school when when it was clear that i need i was in fact going to try to go to to mm -hmm. university for music struck up a deal with my district which was i will go and get training for this this kid you know this student um mm -hmm. uh, and in the braille music software that's available which is through dancing dots we can yeah. we'll talk more about that later um and then i will provide i'll provide things for you know training for for all all uh blind students in the district or and in the area mm -hmm. uh and you know that that will be kind of the, the 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 thing and so that happened my senior year of high school and he said you know i'll help with his transition into university i applied for another school uh where where one of his friends worked and i i missed it by one slot so i ended up saying okay i'll stay home for one year the long and short of it was that, you know, he passed uh, very tragically. Yeah. And uh, then next, the next couple of weeks, uh, I ended up having to go straight into orientation and having to explain to the people at the department, you know, Braille music is very different. You know, if you give me a music theory exam and you tell me where, you know, that I need to put the, uh, you know, a certain note in a, in a certain space on the staff or on a certain line in the staff, I'm not really going to know what you're talking about because right. the only thing I know is Braille music. And it was very easy to get kind of shoved to the side. Oh, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And so I, I ended up taking basic courses for a few years with some, some music courses that I was allowed to take. But I ran into a, a, an administrator who kept putting holds on my accounts. Uh, and she, you know, she would say, oh, well, you, you didn't take this class. You didn't take that class. I said, well, you didn't even buy the Braille music software. You 
know, you don't, there's, we don't even have that. First of all, um, you know, I can't, I'm not going to sit in a concert band and count 128 measures of rest to play a note on a gong. That's not fair. I would need braille music for that. It's not fair to the band. It's not fair to the director. It's not fair to me. And, uh, you know, the long and short of it was she said something like, you know, because of your disability, you should think about changing your major, which was really laughable, you know, and I, I considered taking legal action and it was a lot of stuff. I considered transferring schools. I I thought for a while about going to UNT, but I, if I transferred, I'd lose every single credit I had worked for two years to get at this Mm -hmm. point. I was like 21 or so at 20. And so I, I took some time off in between to get Halo, my, my dog guide. And um, then I came back and, and I had a conversation with a professor and he said, there's another degree. Uh, it's called this, it's called a multidisciplinary degree. And you pick like three subject areas and you can be done in X amount of time. He said, you know, why don't you think about doing that? I said, oh, well, that's not, you know, I don't want to, it looks like a disgrace if I do that. You know, if I, if I, sell myself short no man what you need to do is finish school and then do whatever you want to do get as many degrees as you want after that right but what you need to do is get one so that people can't deny you ever again because we did a terrible job of servicing you and a lot of it was because you didn't have any sort of credential you didn't have anybody backing you up you didn't have anything and you know just because whatever the case may be and the legalities of it we didn't serve you the best that we could serve you so my advice to you would be get your degree and then you'll never run into this problem again because you can say i have a degree i have it yeah and so i did some really uh serious uh soul searching and uh and just thinking and, and meditating and, and and all of that and um i said okay Here's the deal. If I can get out by the time I'm 20, before I turn 23, mm-hmm. I'll be cool with that. If I can't, I'm throwing all of this away and I'm transferring and I'm moving somewhere else. And I went to an advisor and uh, they said, yeah, we can have you, we can have you out by the end of the summer before you uh, turn 23, you know, by the end of summer 2015. Right. And so I said, all right, that's my sign. So I wrapped up. I took, took you know, a, a heavy load that next semester and a half or so. And uh, that was it. Uh, I was done. Um, and after that, uh, I went to intern for Dancing Dots, which is the company that, uh, that provides Braille music software um, and the, the – all the things that, that that are available in terms of scanning music, print music into Braille or Braille music into print and kind of interfacing and dealing with JAWS and it's all that all that sort of thing. Yeah, so that happened. So how, I mean, how do you use that in, in what you do? And I mean, how did you find out about it? And just tell me more about, about the software. Cause I, I've heard of it, but I don't really know much about it. Okay. So um, Bill McCann, is a is a really good friend of mine and he he uh is a trumpet player pianist he graduated for cum laude from temple university back in i guess late 70s early 80s 
uh, forgive me, Bill, for if you hear this. <laughs> You're trying to uh, age him, you know? <laughs> I'm trying to, yeah, yeah, I should know this. Uh, but uh, uh, he he ended up trying to get a better job than just a gigging around as a musician. And so he ended up in computer programming. And, and long story short, he, he worked really hard and developed a software that it's, it's called the Good Feel Suite. Um, and it, you can scan print music into Braille. You can, there's a, you know, uh, Lime and Lime Allowed. Uh, those are programs that you can uh, compose your own music yeah. uh, and they work with JAWS uh, and I think with NVDA now uh, and and, uh, and rid of Windows Narrator and a couple other things. Uh, and, and, he, and he came up with a variety of kind of solutions uh, so that blind people could in fact compose their own music and have it so that a sighted person could read it or wow. so that sighted people could scan music into braille for blind people. Okay. Uh, it's pretty effective. Um, the only, the only real hang up with the, with it is that, uh, some of the, you know, some of the scripts are not as up to date and, you know, like it only works with, uh, it doesn't work on Mac products, okay. you know, and yeah. so that, that's a real, that's a real kind of hang up nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, but undeniably when it, when it hit the market, it was the, the end all be all for blind people for the mm -hmm. first time, you know, you could have a situation where people could compose and people could uh, blind, blind people could, could, could be alone with their music, you know, because for, for the longest time it's like, oh, you had to have a scribe there kind of maybe writing out and you'd have to dictate and, and, you know, then that kind of take that kind of ruins, you know, or maybe not ruins, but it takes something out of the process. You know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so uh, Bill and I met at a Braille music uh, Academy, the Overbrook uh, at the Overbrook Institute in Philadelphia. Was, oh, I know what music academy you're talking about, actually. Do you? Yeah. Despite knowing nothing about music, yes. Um, I actually have heard of it. They used to do summer programs, right, for the music thing? They did. Yeah. Oh. They did. And I think I attended the last one, if I'm not okay. mistaken. And I was... How old was I then? I hadn't gotten Halo, who was snoring really loudly in the background here. <laughs> Um, I hadn't, I hadn't gotten, uh, Halo just yet. I was thinking I was 20 or 19. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it must've been 19 actually. Okay. And, um, yeah, I, I signed up for this thing and, and I went out there, uh, yeah, I learned so much about, I mean, I was exposed to a, for the first time, a, a teacher who was a music theory teacher that was specialized in working with blind people, you know, right, yeah. specialized in braille music and, and, you know, I didn't really get, I didn't get Braille music until the midway point through my high school career. Uh, and so my, you know, my, my fluency with Braille music has never been great. It still isn't amazing. I can read it, you know, but it's not something that's out of this world. I have colleagues that can run circles around me for sure. <laughs> um, and, um, but anyway, I ended up meeting Bill and we hit it off and we, we just stayed in touch and he said, Hey, you know, what if you, 
you know, what if you came and interned Dancing Dots? And and for a while, I, I had to say no and because I was trying to finish up school and just yeah. be done with that. But once I was done, you know, we made it work. Uh, one thing led to another, and, and I was over there for two months, and I, I learned a lot. I learned not only a lot about uh, what Dancing Dots is, the mission of, of Dancing Dots is and what mm-hmm. the Good Feel Suite can do for uh, Braille music users. Um, but I also learned a lot about the accessible technology business and, and how it runs and why things are the way that they are. So you know, why prices are, might be the way that they are. Right. Yeah. Uh, just a lot. I, I learned so much. And coming out of that, Bill invited me to um to a camp a music camp that he was working <laughs> at at ehc at yes. enchanted hills camp for the blind <laughs> and just a little a little audio description for you mm-hmm. holly i'm in a i'm in my room currently and i'm in my most comfortable pair of gray sweats and my ehc staff shirt oh from this yeah. year or last year <laughs> uh, from uh uh, which year is oh, it from? Yeah. It's from last year. Oh. It's from last year. It's not. A, it's not the one from this year. I yeah. have. A, I have a couple on hand. That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I suppose anyway. I should provide context that we know each other through Enchanted Hills Camp. Everyone's going to be like, "Okay, why are you so excited about summer camp?" <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to be excited about summer right? camp. You and I won't go into those here, but. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, the, the biggest one is Linda's cookies. No, oh. it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's the fact that, that, that camp, you know, provides as, it's amazing. has provided and, and continues to provide such a network for blind people around yes. the world. Yeah. Um, it really is just, oh, EHC is like something so different from anywhere I've ever been. It is. It's, it's a different world. It's a different world. And, um, I ended up helping Bill with the music camp. I was a camper in mm-hmm. 2016 after having interned at his company. Nice. In 2017, I returned to, um, gosh, to work at EHC, <laughs> uh, all summer long, um, for Tony Fletcher as a, as a full-time staff member and to help with yeah. the music camp. Oh, cool. And in, in 2018, uh, after 2017, uh, Bill kind of stepped aside from the, the music camp mm-hmm. and it got passed on to me. Uh, and so now I run that program. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, I, we've been servicing uh, youth from the ages 15 to, I don't know, uh, 25 uh 28 something like that and now we're hoping to provide an adult music camp for uh folks who are you know uh, a bit older you know folks that you might see in the adult sessions at at enchanted hills things like that oh my gosh they're gonna love that honestly like there's so many people I think who really want the nostalgia of a music camp kind of thing, you know, particularly older blind people who maybe went to blind schools or things like that. And for them, it's like getting back to that community, you know, with music as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I feel like, um, well, and the, the, the real shift in what the, the music camp that I went to and the music camp that I'm currently running is that we are much, the blind and low vision community is a big community. Yeah. And what we were finding was that it was originally billed as a Braille Music Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that leaves out a, a pretty big portion of the community. The majority, really. Yes. And so Tony Fletcher came to me and said, Hey, you know, what, you know, what do we say? What do we do with all these people? What, you know, do you, you know, you see that this is what's happening? And I said, Mm -hmm. well, yeah, I understand. But I, I want to promote Braille music, Tony, because Braille music is important. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and, uh, I can see this happening. (laughs) Yeah, no. Yeah. When I, and the thing is, I'm not the greatest Braille music reader. I don't use it every day, even, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'll sit here and tell you the honest truth about that, but yeah. uh, it's important. You know, literacy is important. And right. you and I, we don't have to stand on the soapbox about why that is, but it's important. <laughs> we don't. I'll be here for like hours. Otherwise. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Because, you know, anyway. Um, yeah. But the, the point is, is that it, we had to figure out something that was more inclusive to the to the wider uh, field of blind mm-hmm. and low vision uh, people, which, which is what EHC is, is Enchanted Hills is, is so great at doing. Yes, yeah. um, and so now we focus at the music camp on uh, the performance being the biggest kind of element is, you mm-hmm. know, how we perform, uh, you know, how we, uh, and all the things that come with performances such as rehearsals and, and the preparation and stage etiquette and professionalism and all those yeah. things. We try to focus on recording a little bit for those who are into some recording things. That's cool. Uh, we try to do that. But we also, you know, ha- have really made it a point to focus on, uh, you know, some of the, the hardware aspects of, of, of what music recording entails. Because mm-hmm. if you're a blind person, you don't always know how to plug something in until right. somebody tells you. Uh, until you get some training on that. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, how would you set up a speaker and a microphone for yourself at a gig? You know, how would you do that? And, and having our campers be accountable for that. Yeah. And also just trying to do some recording um, of the campers. Uh, uh, a, a colleague of mine works at the camp, Josh Lintz, um, yes. and his fiance, Mariana Sandoval. And they've been, uh, they, first of all, they say hello. And they'll, they'll, because they'll cut my head off if I don't. don't (laughs) Well, look, there's no evidence that you said hello. This is going to go out on a podcast. There's evidence. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. No, shouts out to to Josh and Mariana. They're great colleagues and and great friends. And Mariana has been, um, a big component of the camp has always been, even since Bill's time, uh, the chorus. And so Mariana has been indispensable in, in helping with that. And, yeah, and Josh has singing. been. In, oh yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You, got, you have to, it's a requirement. Everybody's yes. got to do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, Josh uh, has, has uh, been indispensable in talking about recording and, yeah. and, and also recording the campers and making mm-hmm. sure that we have a great show uh, and, and just kind of helping helping in that way and, and teaching campers about how to record themselves, how to right. plug in, 
you know, uh, mixers and yeah. and amps and mics and all all those sorts of things. And you guys did a great show this summer just gone by. I was so lucky that I got to come to it through something else, but I was there and it was so cool to see everyone and like watch all of them perform, especially some of the campers who I know. I was like, oh, that's so great. It was very humbling. Mm-hmm. It was very humbling to say the least uh, to receive as much uh, as much praise as we did this year. Yeah. Uh, we worked very hard. Um, and again, I didn't know what I was going to do. When Tony was like, I want music camp, but I want it to be camp, and I, Braille's going to have to take a back seat. I was mm-hmm. like, ah, what am I going to do? <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know what, where to even start. Uh, and yeah. he said, you know, you do know where to start. You know, he, he put his, his faith and, and confidence mm-hmm. in me. And um, yeah. so we're, I think we're making it work, and we have a better template of what this actually is. Because, nice. um, you know, I, I think you'll remember that when I first did the, the camp, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you and I, we had a conversation about, I, yeah. I told you very frankly, I said, I don't know what this is yet. I don't right. really know. Because yeah. uh, I want to. Now, it's going to be different every year because sure. there may be years where we do have Braille um a lot more braille music readers coming in and we are going to have to make allowances for that. We're going to have to make sure that the music that they need is there and ready for them. And that uh, opportunities are there for them to use perhaps the dancing dots, dots products and, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, But that's the X factor that kind of always happens at camp is that you don't, you don't ever really know what's going (laughs) to, going to entirely go down. As Tony says, flexibility is key. Is key. He'll be yes, pleased ma'am. that I've remembered that. <laughs> he will. He will be pleased. I sometimes say it to students here and they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, you don't understand. This is really important. This is an important thing that I learned one summer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you have to just send them all to, to youth camp and then they'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it was great to have you at the concert, even though we, and I was, you know, we were supposed to hang out for more time, but it was oh, such a busy day. Yeah, it was, it was a crazy day. And like my weekend was just start to finish, just whoop, super busy. So I was like, oh my God, and, you know, and then I had to fly back to Colorado. So Yeah. Yeah. That camp is, um, it's been, I don't know, man. I don't feel like a director of a camp, of a music camp. Uh, I mean, I'm 27 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm just figuring this out, you know. I, yeah. I am just like anybody, any other blind musician who might be listening to this podcast. Uh, in in a lot of regards, I, you know, I do this because I love it, right? And uh, you know, because I feel it's my calling to do it. So, you know, well, now music is something you do like. But well, I guess full time. And so, yes. how, how did you figure all that out and start that? I mean, you left college, you did your internship, you went to camp. How did it all begin to get you where you are now? Well, um, first of all, I would say that you know, I wouldn't. You know, I, I'm at a place in my life where 
I'm still looking for a financial stability. I, and music doesn't necessarily provide that. However, I'm in a bit of a, a catch 22 because my career as it is, is really just starting to take off in really big ways Yeah. because I, you know, I've been at this, I've been playing professionally for 10 years. My first for, for, I guess, 11, almost 11 years now, really my first gig, I was 16 years old and, mm -hmm. you know, I was still in high school and, and I was in the youth jazz program and the guys from the people running the youth jazz program say, Hey, why don't you come down at you and this other kid that's, that's in the program, come down and play for 20 bucks on a Saturday. And then from there it just continued and, and I made my own bands and I got into college and I played mm -hmm. in different ensembles. I played in all the ensembles there were to play in steel drum ensembles, uh, uh, Middle Eastern ensembles. Uh, uh, I played just whatever I could. I played sessions and I mm -hmm. still, I still do that. Um, you know, I've been freelancing for a really, really long time. Um, and so it's the thing I've been kind of doing since, since high school. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's my line of work hasn't changed that much. It's just that things are becoming slightly more and more, uh uh what's the word the the profile of things is a little bit higher you know i don't i never would have you know at 18 if you would have said hey you're gonna run a music camp when you're 27 in napa <laughs> i would have been like what you know but it was just something that kind of happened it just yeah. fell into my lap it was uh man, i didn't plan for it um and you know my my idea is to perhaps go back for a master's uh, and, and get a master's in ethnomusicology, which is okay. the study of the anthropology of music. You know, mm -hmm. you do ethnographies uh, with, with different people and, yeah. uh, and different traditions. So for instance, I might go to Yorkshire and study <laughs> all of the, uh, all of the madrigals that were produced in a certain church Mm -hmm. around a certain time and how they yeah. affected whatever have lots of churches so that will <laughs> yeah <laughs> you'll be all right <laughs> yeah yeah i could go but i mean that's just one example i could yeah. go to bulgaria and study mm -hmm. wedding music and in, in a certain village and um but you know that wouldn't be uh, my my line is in uh, the african diaspora in the, the united states and that would be what i would want to do yeah but i've managed to remain debt free thus far and Ooh. so I, you know, I'm trying to keep that going for as long as I can. Yeah. Um, because, you know, for me, there are, for many blind people, mm -hmm. there aren't all that many fields we can find ourselves in. Um, you know, you might find yourself in rehab, you know, yeah. maybe you might find yourself in teaching uh, mm -hmm. in VI. You might find yourself in uh, at a call center. Mm -hmm. Lots uh, of tech these days as well. Yeah, in tech, um, but none of those really uh, appeal to me. Mm -hmm. uh, aside from, you know, perhaps teaching. Yeah. You know, um, and even then, I was, you know, if you would ask me five years ago, I would have said, no, 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 no. You know. <laughs> Uh, and now I have a bit of a different view of that. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but you know music is is my passion it's what drives me i mean i'm constantly making records um i'm constantly working on projects with different artists and i'm always playing different styles of music you know i'm work i'm there's a rock record that i'm working on right now we just released a pop and r&b sort Mm -hmm. of record it's called it's with this new band that i'm working with horizon executives and we just got invited to uh the nam convention the nam show over in anaheim we're gonna go in a couple of weeks and that's so exciting um, oh my gosh yeah yeah we're gonna so, we're, oh, yeah we're amazing yeah yeah it's it's through a company an electronics company uh it's called mackie uh, mm-hmm. hardware company and they and they make headphones and speakers and all kinds of things like that and uh and i'm actually using their their headphones right now oh. uh, but uh <laughs> and they're making it possible for us to to go to nam so it's a it's a really big honor and that that just kind of fell out of the sky a couple weeks ago yeah. you know so that's kind of my life you know mm-hmm. i mean for instance um you'll remember our our good friends um aza and tehani that work with uh, yes. guide dogs of hawaii yes uh, okay you went out there didn't you to hawaii i believe did you yes okay, yeah I and thought, that I was again like, that I was something crazy? that i never <laughs> i didn't think you know i didn't think it was gonna happen mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying i i was at camp still working at camp and then Aza messaged me she's a caseworker for for gdh and said Mm -hmm. hey would you like to come out and and bring a sort of musical component and it's like yeah (laughs) for sure uh and so uh i don't know man my life is uh it's not stable (laughs) it's not i wish i could sit here and say oh i got it figured out you know i I mean, I have a five-year plan. I'll interview you in 10 years. It'll be different. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) man. Oh, God willing. Yeah. I mean, I I wish, I hope, I I pray (laughs) that it will be. um, But, you know, you never sign on for that when you're a musician. And, you know, the the reality is, is that Mm -hmm. you've got to spend five years losing money before you start making it in a lot of ways. I think that's like the blessing and the curse of creativity. It's definitely something I'm finding. I mean, three, four years ago, I started to get work published and I was like, you know, in newspapers and I was like, this is it. This is my big break. I've made it. No, I hadn't made it. That was just the beginning of the grind to making a name for yourself. Like the first thing you do, you think, oh my God, I've made it right now. This is, you know, the first time you play with a band or whatever it is, you know, for me, it was writing. I was like, well, but what what you realize like a few years later is oh, okay. I, I got on the ladder. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. How many more rungs, and then yeah. <laughs> how many more times do you get knocked off a couple mm-hmm. rungs, and then you got to yeah. climb back up? Yeah, yeah. But then at least for me, and I, I feel like it's probably the same for you. Creativity has also, whilst it brings you instability, it definitely brings you opportunities that I feel like people who have a nine to five job and that's not being disrespectful because I think that works for some people, but it brings you opportunities that you wouldn't have if you had that nine to five job. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Although it just makes me stressed out when I look at my bank account, <laughs> Oh God, but yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I also live, uh, you know, I, I do realize how, how incredibly lucky I am. Yeah. When I'm sitting in a recording studio writing a song about this or that, you know, and I, and and I'm just, you know it's like and I'm playing drums and we're working on 
how to get the right drum sound for a certain song or um, whatever I'm on stage at a festival, you know, in, in Mexico and, and I'm there, you know, I went to Mexico city this past mm -hmm. uh, summer to, to tour a record that we recorded last Thanksgiving. And then it came out in March. You know, we did the CD release in, in May or, yep. you know, I think it was May. And then we went and, and did a couple dates in Mexico city. Those things are exhilarating. It's amazing, you know, but it's also stressful for sure. Oh yeah. I, I hear you on that one. That's definitely how I feel with, well, all my creative endeavors. It's like, they're, they're so rewarding because you put some of your soul into them. You're not just like, I don't know. It's not like just doing your job where you're like doing what you're told to do. You're, you're putting yourself into it, but then you also have that stress of, I don't know when the next paycheck is coming. If that is one. <laughs> it's really true. It's really, really true. And you, yeah, you understand it because you've been writing for a while. It's not like yeah. you just let your, you know, you, you didn't just publish your first blog yesterday. Mm -hmm. You've been doing it for a long <laughs> time. Yeah. And I'm still, still working my way up. It's going to be a while. I think, <laughs> I think I'm resigned to that fact now. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's what happens, right? You get mm -hmm. resigned to, to grinding it out. Yeah. You get, you, you understand eventually that right. this is what it is. You, the grind doesn't stop. This is another day at the office. Yeah. But I think that also separates people who love it and people who don't. Like, if you're in it for the fame, you're not going to be there for all those years of, okay, when do I, you know, how do I pay the rent? How do I pay the bills? Whatever. Because you're just going to be like, I'm dropping this. I wasn't, I didn't become famous. I'm out. Whereas, like, if you love it, you're going to pursue that. Maybe be beyond what people think is sensible but <laughs> like you do it because you love it <laughs> oh there's there is no doubt there's no doubt in my mind that it's beyond what people think is sensible but yeah of course <laughs> i i'm very driven to doing it um yeah. but yeah you know it's it's been a wild uh it's been a wild ride and i have so many so many colleagues to thank i mean people like bill mccann of course yeah. Uh, you know, the, the professors at the University of Texas mm -hmm. uh, here that really did believe in me that, that weren't like the lady that I mentioned before, folks like Eric Unsworth and Sean Mahoney and Chris Raymond and uh, Dina Jones and, and, and several others, right. uh, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and those people tap me into different networks. Those people are my go-tos when I need uh, something. And of course, you know, my, my immediate a uh, circle of colleagues, people like uh, Josh and Mariana, who I work with in a musical sense here at home. Yes. You know, Josh, uh, he records uh, me a lot uh, in town. Mm -hmm. We write songs together. Um, we work on sound gigs together. Uh, we work uh, just on a lot of different projects. And, and Mariana's got her own her own things going on. And, and those are only just a few of the friends that I have in the network that I have here at home right. locally so and what's the music scene like in el paso can you tell me a bit about that like what's it like being a musician in in your city in my city uh that's a really great question um well in my city there's a lot of uh a lot of talent because mm -hmm. el paso is 
is is a border metroplex. It's yeah. people don't understand it unless you've been here. It's because you have first of all you have El Paso and Juarez. You have those and they're sister cities. It's like right. Buda and Pest. It's like it's like you know Minneapolis and St. Paul. It's exactly mm-hmm. the same thing. There's two two. It's one city, but it's two cities. Right. And Juarez is massive. Juarez has over 2 million people now. I, maybe wow. maybe even 3 million. It's, it's not many. small. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and El Paso is 900,000 and growing for sure. Right. Um, and then not only do you have that, but to the west you have Las Cruces, New Mexico, and mm-hmm. all these surrounding little towns in between uh, you know, El Paso and Las Cruces and, and in, in, the, in the areas and right. plus towns on the outlying so there's it's a it's a lot of land there's a Mm -hmm. lot of space out here and so subsequently people there are a lot of home studios and a lot of very uh affordable uh recording studios there's one called sonic ranch it's in fabens texas it's not far from uh from el paso and your your listeners can uh can google it and we get a who's who of people at this at this studio. I mean, if I, I can't even get into the list cause it's so it's, and they all come a little <laughs> old here, you know, oh. to, to record, but because it's cheap and, and it's, 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 uh, mm. discreet, it's, it's, uh, nondescript. And, and that's kind of the vibe. Yeah. Um, there is a lot, there, there's always live music happening. Um, but it's, it, it's like certain venues. So it's, mm-hmm. um, certain venues and certain people kind of controlling who goes in and out of certain venues. So like, you know, for instance, if I want a gig at a certain bar, I've mm-hmm. got to know one person or okay. I have to have right. it in with one person to get there. Yeah. It's not like I could just do it off merit. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's okay. just easier if you can do a one person situation. However, yeah. it's easy to build merit because out of New York or uh, in LA mm-hmm. um, and people have a unique sound. People have a unique sound because it's so isolated here. Yeah. There's not, you know, Phoenix is six hours away. Albuquerque is, you know, four and a half hours away, three, mm-hmm. three, four hours away. Denver is 10 hours away, 11 hours away. Really? Wow. Uh, Houston is 12 hours away. Uh, so you get the picture. Mm-hmm. It's, we're very, it's an island. It feels like an island here. And so it does uh, allow for a lot of, like, for instance, when I have been to New York, I love going to New York because you see the best talent that there, that the world has to offer in a lot of ways. Yes. But, but you also hear a lot of cookie cutter sameness. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, all right, well, you sound like this other guy that you're, that's trying to sound like this guy. Mm-hmm. Whereas like El Paso you might go out to like some divey Mexican restaurant bar and hear a guy playing drums in a blues band and you'll never have heard anything like that before. <laughs> You're like, well, that's all right. I didn't, I've never heard that anywhere else except here in El Paso. And you Paso. think that helps you keep your style as well? Like and who you are as a musician living in a place that's so, I mean, there's so many cultures as well in El Paso and, and all of that. Do you think, that help has helped you as a musician? I would say absolutely. It has helped me to cultivate a style that is when I go to 
jam at a jazz club in New York or mm-hmm. in New Orleans or wherever, I don't feel like I need to sound like those people. Right. I can respect whatever it is that they're doing and, and come at it as honestly as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, but, but the other problem with El Paso is because we are so isolated, you end up getting paired. You, you, you end up only getting compared to the success stories of El Pasoans. <laughs> so that's, that's the, it can be a double-edged sword. Right. Cause there's, there's, those people who really, really made it, and then you're like, people are gonna sure. are gonna put, you know, anyone who's working or trying to get into music in that category too. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, like, I mean, a great example is Khalid. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Khalid is you know the location guy. You know, and, and you know, can we just talk? Can we just, you know, that that mm-hmm. song? He's, I mean, he's on the radio left and right right now. He's right. a giant pop star. Yeah. And he's not originally from El Paso. He's his family is a military family, and they ended up here because of the base. Oh, um, but he decided, hey, this place is great. I'm gonna rep it. This is this is my city. I like it, yeah. you know. And and the people have embraced him with open arms. Mm-hmm. However, now everybody wants that. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's tough because, you know, I wouldn't mind that myself you know Mm -hmm. i know it's like i've i've worked at at a studio that he worked that he's worked at and and reported Mm -hmm. stuff at and it's it you know he's still very uh his presence is very strong here in the city and he's also done a lot to ingratiate himself with the people of the city uh you know that with the shooting situation that we had happen here that was so uh, unfortunate he responded immediately uh you know he's done he has a foundation that gives back to schools and stuff so Mm -hmm. The again, the, the the good thing is that at least people in my city are seeing, hey, somebody can make it. You know, right. somebody, you know, you don't have to, um, you don't have to because you're from El Paso. You, you don't have to think that you won't get a shot at the industry, right? Because it he definitely did. Yeah. It's definitely possible. Well, thank you so much for talking. It was great not only to catch up but also to do this interview because it's it's something really unique you know i've had a lot of people who work i guess more normal jobs <laughs> yeah it's true it's true and i'm sorry i'm not i'm not stevie wonder or or uh, uh, or justin coughlin i'm not quite the quite the big shot musician yet but i mean my idea is to just keep grinding and give it 10 years like i said i'll give come it back 10 years this interview in 10 years someone's gonna look back and be like oh, you know it's from his early days before he had his break <laughs> i certainly i certainly hope so um and i certainly hope that just because i mean i it just takes so much time to get into this and i've been so fortunate to have all the uh despite all of the all of the hardships that come with it i've been so fortunate to have uh, the the ability to work with the variety of people that I have and in the situations that I've been able to work in, you know, um, right. from being, you know, yelled at at the dinner theater because I didn't play the part the same every night because I didn't have the music because they didn't get it for me in Braille to playing at a jazz festival in Juarez where I'm part of the headlining act. And right. 
I've got my own green room and I got all my guys around me. Oh and my gosh. That's so, amazing. yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen the gamut, you know, and, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and, and, but I know there's even a, you know, a bigger gamut beyond what I, beyond the day in and day out of what I've seen. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, I just look up so much to, uh, to people like Justin Coughlin, uh, to people like, uh, Raul Midon, uh, to people like, uh, uh, Andre Buccelli, of course. And of mm-hmm. course the, the OGs like Stevie Wonder <laughs> and Ray Charles and, uh, yeah. and those guys. Uh, but there, there are a lot of blind musicians doing mm-hmm. their thing out there. Sh- shouts out to Christina Jones and to Stephanie Smith in the, the LA area and to Bill McCann and, and uh, to blessing offer on the East. I mean, I can go on yeah. and on and on about all of the great so guys many, and, yeah. and women that are out there doing exactly what I'm, I've been doing for longer or in a different way or better, or, you know, it's, it's, it just mm-hmm. never ends. Yeah. You're in good company. That's a good thing. <laughs> it's true. It's, it is true. I feel very fortunate. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. Holly, thank you. I, I uh, wish you nothing but the best on your future episodes. I will be locked and loaded to <laughs> to see what else you got cooking up in the Working Blind podcast world. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Thanks for listening to Working Blind. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. For more of my advocacy initiatives, including my blog, visit my website, http colon slash slash catchthesewords.com. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at catchthesewords. That's C-A-T-C-H-T-H-E-S-E-W-O-R-D-S. If you have any comments or feedback, please email me, holly at catchthesewords.com.